about faith again today. I, I, I talked uh, to a couple of pastors this week, and surprisingly, even though it's supposed to be Hosanna Sunday, which would be the ideal message to speak on a day like this, for whatever reason, there are two or three pastors, and perhaps more in the city, who today are talking on faith. And none of us met with each other and said, we've got to talk about faith. But when I met with them during the week, all of them are, for some strange reason, teaching on faith. And we were laughing because no one ever coordinated it. So I don't know what God is trying to say, but thought I'll talk on faith today instead of Hosanna. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 31.6. Deuteronomy 31.6. Deuteronomy 31.6. And it says there, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Or sometimes you can put in the word it. Because sometimes it's not people who terrify us, it's situations that terrify us. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Uh, I mean, whenever God says stuff like this, it just washes over us so quickly. But if you actually think of it, think of what he's saying. It is the God of the universe saying, Jacob, I'm speaking too fast today. Let me slow it down. The God of the universe is saying, Jacob, be strong and be full of courage. Why? Because... you look too afraid and terrified of people and situations. But I want you to know this, that I will go with you and that I won't abandon you or forsake you or leave you or desert you. I won't do that. And then the same thing is echoed in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 6 where God says, Jacob, I am your helper, so don't fear because what can man do to you when I am your helper? And we talked about this. When God says he's your helper, he's not your secretary. What he means when he says your helper is not that he's an aide or, or some kind of an assistant. What he's saying is, you are so helpless, Jacob, that you need someone to help. And I am that helper. And what's he, so Hebrews 13, 6 says that, Jacob, I, God, am your helper. Don't be afraid. What can they do to you now that I'm your helper? What can this situation do to you now that I am your helper? Guys, half the time we are afraid is because our human faith is limited and influenced by five senses. We do have this thing called human faith. Do you realize that you, time and again, step into a 60-meter cylinder that travels at 900 kilometers per hour and is piloted by two guys you haven't even seen? I mean, you heard what happened with that German wings flight. But we have human faith. We step into that cylinder traveling at 900 kilometers per hour at 8,000 meters and trust that the two people sitting behind a door that we cannot enter know how to handle this thing and to take it up and bring it down. So there is this thing called human faith. The world operates by it. But human faith is limited to five senses. It's influenced by the five senses and limited to the five senses. And that's why God said, hey, You need to have this uh, God-faith thing because you are continuously submerged. We are continuously submerged or engulfed in reasoning, in speculative thinking, in speculative thinking, reasoning, speculative thinking, and calculated response. 
calculated responses. Calculated responses. This is why we need faith, guys. Because the way humans are, we're continuously trying to reason things out. We're continuously engaging in speculative thinking and in calculated responses. Reasoning as in um, trying to figure out whether what we are going to do or what faces us can be rationalized and worked out with our minds which are so limited. Because eh? our minds are fed by five senses. All that we know is fed by the five senses. Then there's speculative thinking. Speculative thinking is what if or what does this mean or what could it be? This happened to that person. How is it going to be for me? How will I? It's speculative thinking where you're speculating on something that you have no control over. Absolutely no control over. It's fascinating. I remember sitting in a hotel room once and and speculating for two hours. And I looked at my watch and I thought, you just spent 7,200 seconds speculating on something you can't control. I was so irritated with myself for spending two hours thinking about something that I didn't know how it would work out, how I could control it. Guys, we spend half our time sleeping, half our time speculatively thinking, and then the other half we live. It doesn't work out that way. And then there's calculated responses, where we try to figure out what is the best option given our reasoning and our speculative thinking. What, what can we respond to after calculating all the odds that will make things work out? And all three are ways that are from the world. And this has to now be replaced by faith, as in biblically prescribed faith, which gives you a singular eye to see what God wants you to do. That's the thing, eh? Faith helps me draw back from rational, which is limited. I'm not saying rational is always bad, but it's so limited because it's dependent on my soul or my five senses, which is, again, so corrupted by the environment I grow up in. It gives me a singular eye where it draws me back from speculative thinking. It draws me back from trying to reason things out. It draws me back from trying to calculate the best odds. It gives me a singular eye to see what God wants me to do. It gives me a singular eye. And it helps override the questions in my mind, eh? Gosh, man, when you begin to go down this road, the number of questions that come up, how will this work, who should I meet, what? <sighs> to override those questions and to have a single eye to see things the way God sees things, faith is required. Any questions? Any questions? Or any challenges to this? Any questions, any challenges? Which one are you looking at, Ruth? Prescribed. Whenever you write the word prescribed, you have to write it like a doctor. <laughs> it should be completely illegible. <laughs> Guys, so faith... Heidi, what are you looking at now? 
to see what God wants you to do. You're a nurse, you write like this. <laughs> to see what God wants you to do. Guys, one of the definitions of faith that we rarely hear um, is faith is entering into what God wants to do with you and for you. Faith is entering into what God wants to do with you and for you. What a cool definition, eh? Faith is entering into what God wants to do with you and for you. Faith isn't this thing that we, we, we decide, ah, this is what we want to do, and then there's a struggling. No. God gave us faith so that we could enter into what God wants to do with us and for us. It's a risky embrace of His action. It's a risky embrace of His action. It'll always be beyond your abilities, eh? But he's the story writer. He's the author and the finisher of faith. So he's writing the story. But he's saying, hey Jacob, before you were born, I prepared these mighty exploits for you to do. And uh, these were authored by me. And I got the power to finish them. So why don't you enter and embrace this risky venture that I'm uh, wanting to engage you in. And let's you and I enter into what I want to do through you, for you. Come. That's what faith is. Suddenly it becomes an adventure that you look forward to, not some kind of a struggle that you're engaged in. It's so sad that faith has become a thing that when I go through a struggle, I need faith. No, when I walk through adventures, I need faith. Faith is entering into what God wants to do with you and for you. It's a risky embrace of what God wants to do. And it will always be beyond you. And by the way, all of us start with faith, eh? To begin with, isn't it a fruit of the Spirit? And if you have the Spirit of God, I'm suggesting you have faith. We all have been given faith to start with. Romans 12.3 talks about it. Galatians 5.22 talks about it. Ephesians 2.8 talks about it. Romans 10.17 says, Now that this faith has been given to you, cultivate it. Cultivate it. How? Through hearing and doing. Everybody here who is a believer, has the faith that God requires and wants them to have to enter into adventures with him. Guys, think of it again. Think of that line again. Faith is entering into things that God wants to do with you and for you. So even when a struggle comes, God is saying, hey, I want to do something with you and for you in the middle of the struggle. Want to come in? Want to walk with me? Want to take this risky embrace of this venture that I'm leading you into? Want to see how I'll deliver you? Come walk. That's what he's saying. And we know that the enemy is someone who keeps shooting fiery darts. And what do we block that with? The shield of faith. Again, it goes back to the same thing. Oh, he's really shooting fiery darts at you. Having a tough time, Jacob. Want to come with me? Pick up the shield of faith and you and I can go and walk this together. Walk into a venture that will help you get through this. Because I'm the author and not the half writer, but the author and the finisher of your Faith. I, 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 I know the story. I'm writing it. I know how to get you out of it. And boy, will they read it and say, oh shucks. That's how this works. Any questions on that? Guys, feel free to challenge this and question it. Eh? Feel free to challenge and question it. Hey, were you waiting for me to move for you to go this way? <laughs> That's very nice. Oh, okay. Any questions, guys? Any difference of opinion? Okay. Hong Kong, 
Faith is not a means to an end. It is the end in itself. Faith is not a means to the end. We often use faith as a means towards an end. As in, if I exert faith, I will obtain this. True, uh, we need uh, to have a result or an outcome that we know God is taking us towards. But faith is not a means towards an end. Faith is an end in itself. And why do I say that? Because here is what the end of faith is. Faith makes you a God recognizer. As in, Hebrews 11, 5 or 6 says um, that one should believe that God exists before you can even start. Faith helps you become a God recognizer. The end of faith, the end of faith besides the outcome, besides the outcome, is that you become a God recognizer, you become a God partner, and you become a God pleaser. Without faith it is impossible to please God. So you become a God recognizer. It's him. Faith allows me to now recognize God as more powerful than, greater than, bigger than any situation, any enemy, any mortal that comes my way. It recognizes God. Faith that does not recognize God will not survive. Faith recognizes God. Faith recognizes God. We'll talk more about that again later. Faith makes me a God partner. Where in Second Chronicles 16.9 or First Chronicles 16.9 it says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro looking for those that he can show himself mighty on behalf of. God is looking for partners. God is looking for partners to ex- show himself off through. Jesus put it this way. He said, um, Oh God, you are in me and I am in you. So will you do your works through me so that they may know that I am sent by you and they may recognize that uh, you work in me and they recognize you. So two things are happening in what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're in me, I'm in you. Could you do works through me so that they acknowledge that you sent me? And once I start doing the works you want me to do, they'll also acknowledge you. A God partner. The end of faith, besides the outcome, is you become a God-recognizer, a God-partner, and a God-pleaser. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. What a cool thing faith is, man. In every little thing, and I asked this question before, when we did faith long ago, do you prefer to live by faith? And the answer usually is no, I use it when I have to. (laughs) But the correct answer to the question, do you prefer to live by faith is, Absolutely. Is there any other kind of living? But Christians use faith as, oh, got to use faith again because I'm in a situation. Jesus preferred to live by faith. Yep. Absolutely. And we'll talk about faith degraders. What degrades faith? And when we come to that, we'll touch on what Diana just said. So let's talk about faith degraders. Faith degraders. I like the word degrade because nowadays you keep hearing that from the White House. We are degrading ISIS in Syria. And we don't know what that means, but I like the sound of degraders. So, faith degraders. So, what are faith degraders? Faith degraders are basically things that come against faith. So, here's the thing, guys. The opposite of faith, the opposite of faith is doubt. The substitute for faith 
is self-reliance. The substitute for faith is self-reliance. The detractor of faith, the detractor of faith is expectancy. I'll explain that. Low expectancy. The failure of faith, or why does faith not have power, or why does it black? Why is there, why is there a blackout of faith? The failure of faith is ignorance. The failure of faith is ignorance, and the tormentor of faith, and the tormentor of faith is fear. These are basically what we can term as faith degraders, or you can call it whatever you want. Faith degraders. The opposite of faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is doubt. The substitute for faith is self-reliance. The detractor of faith is low expectancy. As in it detracts from faith. It minuses, subtracts faith. The detractor of faith is low expectancy. The failure of faith is ignorance. The tormentor of faith is fear. And boy, do these things sometimes assail us. Just keep assaulting us, eh? So the opposite of faith is doubt. So when doubt comes in, guys, it's pointless when we have doubt to try and go to somebody who will make us feel better. Because that's what we do. When we have doubt, we uh, sometimes want prayer just so we feel better. Um, But it's not feelings that will help you. The opposite of faith is doubt, and the only way to handle doubt is to go back into the Word. There's no other way around that. The substitute for faith is self-reliance. Ah, this is our speciality as humans, eh? Self-reliance, where we substitute faith with self-reliance. So what does Saul do? He goes to the witch of Endor. What does Abraham do? He goes back to Egypt. What does King Asa do? He goes to his physicians. What does Peter do? He goes back to fishing. What does Jacob do? He goes to someone who can help him. And I'm talking about this Jacob. So the substitute for faith is self-reliance. Where we become self-reliant because it's much easier to do it our way with our rational and hope it works out than trust God who is invisible, whose word we have to depend on and he seems to take his own sweet time when I can fix it in two minutes. Third one, the detractor of faith is low expectancy. Guys, we'll talk about this some more later on. But here's the thing. Many of us have, have small faith because our expectancy is small. The largeness of faith is not determined by the size of your faith, but the size of your expectancy. The largeness of faith is not determined by the size of your faith, but the size of your expectancy. What do you want? What do you want? Jesus keeps asking people, what do you want? I mean, a blind man comes up, what do you want? Why? Because once my expectations are low, it detracts faith, it destroys faith. 
We hide behind the sovereignty of God so that we don't need to exert faith. Let me say that again. There's a tendency in Christianity to hide behind the sovereignty of God as in saying, let God do what He wants to do. And that way, I don't have to exert faith. Faith always has expectancy. The very definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 one was the hope of things unseen. As in I have to see something which is unseen and begin to expect and hope in it for faith to even exist. Low expectancy detracts faith, guys. Be aware of that, eh? And the difference between small faith and large faith is just expectancy. We'll talk about that a little more. It's so important. The fourth one is the failure of faith. The failure of faith is ignorance. The more I'm ignorant of the word, the less there is a chance of my faith succeeding. Because... Romans 10, 17 puts it this way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Be ignorant of the word. Have a failure or a power failure of faith. Because what do you base it on? On someone else's experience? That doesn't help you grow. It encourages you, but it doesn't help you grow. And the last one is the tormentor of faith. Oh, fear. The tormentor of faith is fear. And the tormentor of faith comes through what? Sound sight. Two highly used phenomena. We rarely smell fear. Dogs do. But we don't necessarily smell fear. But we hear fear and we (laughs) see fear. And boy does that become a source of torment which begins to eat away from faith. So wherever, whatever is your weakest area, begin to work on that. Because I'm sure that all of this happens to us at different times. But there are certain areas in this that are particularly our thing. And work on that first. Work on that first. Any questions, comments? We'll talk about that. Talk about that. In six minutes. (laughs) Now, ladies, uh, you got to be kind of... Guys, part of the reason God starts with this Deuteronomy 31.6 where he says, be strong and courageous and don't be afraid is because he wants us to be fearless when it comes to faith. Eh? And one of, the, one of the first requirements for fearlessness is uh, what I said last week. Uh, write it down, it's Sunday school stuff, but write it down and read it every day if you can. He owns everything. He controls everything. He's very kind and he's, looking f- he's intentionally looking for ways to do me good. It is so comforting, guys. He owns everything. He controls everything. He's very kind. And he's intentionally looking for ways to do me good. Sounds so simple, I have to repeat it a third time. (laughs) He owns everything. Controls everything. He's very kind. And he's intentionally looking for ways to do me good. Guys, this one statement will prevent you from questioning or being disappointed when things don't work out like you want. This has helped me so much when I'm expecting something, standing in faith, and it doesn't happen. Everything in me like kind of shrinks up, where you feel like your stomach and your heart is kind of shrinking. It would be good if it actually happened, but it's just inside that it happens. And then you're thinking to myself, man, this is so sad, because I did everything I felt I was standing in faith, and everything has just crumpled. 
And that is when I quickly go to my iPhone and not read this, read what I read. That he owns everything, he controls everything. He is very kind and he's always intentionally looking for ways to do me good. So I'm not seeing what needs to happen here, but there's something that I need to see. Because it's not a lack of faith that sometimes causes things to fall apart. There are so many other factors, guys. But I know that he's intentionally good. I've got to trust that and it'll begin to come up again. Especially when you're standing in faith for someone else, guys. There are so many factors involved. So many factors involved. I remember a pastor once whose wife used to be falling sick quite often and he'd go lay hands on her and she'd get healed every time he'd pray for her. And then a time came about four or five years into the marriage. Where, and this, this is a very well-known guy. He wrote it in his book, one of his books he wrote. Five years into his marriage, he went to pray for his wife and she didn't recover. And so he goes and asks the Lord, saying, uh, Father, how come? I've been praying, you always heal my wife. Uh, I prayed for her, she's not recovering. And, and God's answer was very simple to him. He, he says, she's got to stop piggyback riding on you. It's time for her to step into maturity and exert her own faith. When I read that many years ago, about 24 years ago, I read that and I thought, huh, there are times when you got to stop carrying people on your back because they have had enough time to develop their faith. Three years ago or four years ago, my sister wanted to put Leah in a private school in Bristol. And uh, they asked me what I thought and I was asking the Lord, Father, what do you think? And I felt the Lord saying, go ahead. Because their main concern was private schools are super expensive. So uh, will they be able to handle it? <clears throat> and I felt this Lord saying, don't worry. Um, tell them to go ahead and I'll take care of it. So I went and told my sister, listen, you asked me and I sense God saying this. But they still didn't have the peace or the comfort to go ahead and do it. And so then I was asking the Lord, Father, now what do you do? I told them what you want. And the Lord said, that's fine. At present, they don't have the faith. Tell them to try again next year. And so I told them, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. God's not upset with you or disappointed with you. So between now and the next year admission deadline, build up your faith. And so for one year, they actually took it seriously. The next year came and the craziest thing happened. My brother-in-law got an increase in salary. He had back pay that was supposed to be given to him for four or five years. And it came together. And my sister got some kind of a promotion at work and the money was no issue. But by now they had built up their faith to a point where they could write. Guys, sometimes remember when we are standing in faith for others, they, you can only have them piggyback on you for so long. Because what if Tavis is now 20 years old and um, Jason still has to carry him to church? That won't be fun because Tavis would be bigger than Jason. Tavis could carry Jason. <laughs> so that's what I mean, guys. Just be aware of it when you're praying for somebody else. Because the only person you really know well and you really know the exertion of what you're doing is you. You can't say it for anybody else. This, um, another way to stay fearless is, is to go back to Deuteronomy 31.6. The Lord goes with me. When? When I'm uh, holy? No, 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 no. The Lord goes with me, period. He doesn't say, when you're holy, I'll go with you. When you're not holy, you're on your own. Thank God he doesn't say that, eh? The Lord goes with you. The Lord goes with me. Second statement in Deuteronomy 31.6. He will not abandon me. He will not disown me. He will not 
leave me alone. He will never forsake me. He is my absolute helper. So Jacob, give me a good reason for you to be afraid. Guys, the next thing which we've talked about a lot in this church is gauge which direction God is going in, eh? Gauge which direction God is going in. How do you figure out what, which direction God is going in? Through his word, through a rhema word which God sends, through a prophetic word that God sends, through dreams, through visions, through asking, through seeking. Know which way he's traveling, eh? He uses circumstances. Look at the circumstance he used in Jason's life to bring about this house. I mean, we go for a pastor's retreat, which is really not our favorite place to go. And we went there, and I'm talking to this lady, and she says she's from Lethbridge. And I think you had talked to her before that. And then she connects the thing, and the house happens. God uses circumstances, dreams, visions, prophetic words, rima, rima words, the word of God, every which way to show you the direction he wants you to take. Guys, he says, I do not speak in obtuse riddles. I speak plainly. And when I speak plainly, I do so so that you can understand what I'm saying. I speak in parables to people who are not necessarily once connected with me. But with you, I speak things plainly. We've talked about it a million times, so I won't talk about that right now. But one of the ways you can be fearless is when you know the direction God wants you to travel in. And once that happens, the next door neighbors of us, like the kids, they're going to be talking today about shameless boldness. Once you know God has said something, you can be shamelessly bold. Shamelessly bold. Because you've heard God. Now what does it matter? Now even the outcome doesn't matter. Because faith is now about entering into an adventure and trusting and obeying. Hey guys, it's because our focus is on the outcome that we feel disappointment. If our focus was on God and not the fig tree, the fig tree will blossom in time. Because our focus is not on God but on the fig tree that has not blossomed yet. Habakkuk chapter 3. What happens is we get disappointed when we don't see fruit on the fig tree immediately. When the, if the focus is on God, then we don't have to worry about the outcome. But because the fig tree will blossom. I'm called to trust and obey and enter into an adventure. Because God is saying, come, I've planned this before the foundations of the earth. Walk with me in this. If you say you have faith, and we go back to that whole question of expectancy, if you say you have faith, one must ask the question that God asks, what do you want me to do for you? In Mark chapter 10, verse 51, a blind man comes up to Jesus, and Jesus asks him such a foolish question by human standards. A blind man comes to him and he says, what do you want? But Jesus wants to know, what is your expectancy? What do you want? He wants to know your expectations. Guys, vagueness or whatever will be, will be is not faith. Vagueness is not faith. Whatever will be, do with me as you will is not faith. 
is not faith. Jesus says that. The Bible says that. What is your expectancy? Guys, the capacity of your expectation determines the largeness of your faith. The capacity of your expectation determines the largeness of your faith. Peter has 11 others in the boat. Why do we say Peter was a man of bold faith? Because he, <laughs> look at his expectancy. If you can walk on water and you're my master and we recognize you and I recognize you as Jesus, the son of the living God, then why can't I walk on water too? So can you tell me to come? Because once you say come, then I know that the word has been spoken and I can jump on this water and start walking on it. Is that large expectancy? Walking on water, I'd suggest to you, is large expectancy. I remember when I was a kid, this, I had this friend who had an uncle who was a scientist and he told us he could walk on water. And so we were all excited and he said, three days it'll take before he can do it. So we were all waiting for three days. And then after the third day, he takes us into the washroom and then he pours some water on the floor and he walks on it. <laughs> it was so disappointing, man. We were just kids, eh? like six and seven year olds, and waiting for three days, saying, and saying, oh, he's going to do that, he's going to do that. It was like, and after three days to pour some water on the floor and walk on it, it was... So, Tavis, don't let anyone pull that one on you now. Yeah. Expectancy, expectancy increases as one recognizes who the Father is. Expectancy increases as one recognizes who the Father is. Expectancy increases as you live life as a much-loved child. Expectancy increases as you live life as a much-loved child. Expectancy increases as you walk on water and find that it works. Now you begin to have a greater expectancy. The more you experience God, the greater your expectancy. Guys, at the end of the day, it's not your grasp of Greek or your guts or your gumption that allows you to trust God. It's a, it's the depth of the revelation of the Father. You get to know what the father is like and you begin to act like a much-loved child. And bold faith is basically faith that expects giant things of a gigantic God. Because God is saying, hey, this is what I have for you. Do you want to step in? Guys, let me assure you, every time throughout your life, you will always be stretched beyond what you have been stretched today. Because God is more aware of your capacity than you are. There is never going to be a time when God will stretch you as much as he stretched you two years ago. He'll always stretch you beyond because he knows that Jacob has the ability after all these years to venture into bolder faith. Where I think my limits are is almost never where God thinks my limits are. And it will always stretch me, but it will always be in my grasp. This is the way faith works. Might as well enjoy it and make it your friend than fight it as if it is an eventuality of life. We 
you know, you hear sermons on dream big. You cannot dream big till you have great expectancy. And you cannot have great expectancy till you know the father, till you are a much loved child, until you experience faith on a regular basis. That's what makes expectancy grow, man. Got to, got to get this right. When will you start if not today? And who if not you? And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. Remember when I say you, I always mean me. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but you're not excluding us. I said, no, I'm not. But when, when, guys? When, when? When? Today. Today. See, this is what will happen. Eh? We listen to this message and we have a particular situation happening in our life right now that we have been waiting for, that we've been disappointed in, that we've been praying for, and it hasn't worked out. And we use that as a filter for the rest of life. And what a shame, because we're missing out on everything because of that. You're taking... Once this message is done, Chris can say, but my ear. Wayne and Bernice can say, but Wendy. Um, Kamal and Ann can say, but this. I can say, but this. Mariana can say, but this. And beholding something that is not working, we put in the ground, we bury the richness of who God is. Because a circumstance begins to frustrate the truth and denies us this banquet that God is setting before us. What a shame, eh? We cannot allow this to happen. We can't allow incidents to determine the face and the faithfulness of God. Every one of us, Jacob, has something that we're standing for. Yeah, and for each of us, it's super difficult. Now, I may think that ah, Wayne and Bernice are going through a difficult time with Wendy in the hospital, and it bothers me. But guess what? The same degree to which it bothers them is perhaps what bothers Chris when it comes to her ear. Because she's been uh, handling that for the last seven or eight years. You know, it doesn't matter what our problem is. To us, it is the largest thing that is happening. All of us in this room are having it, guys. We can't let what God is saying go to not because of a circumstance. And particularly when the circumstance has to deal with faith for somebody else, you have less control, guys, because there is another life involved, another will involved, another exertion of faith involved, another degree of obedience involved. You cannot control someone else's life. They make decisions. And those decisions and have different results. And you can only do your best, but you can't do more than that, guys. Can't do more than that. Let me kind of begin to conclude. Guys, one of the things with faith, it always hears and sees what God is saying, and then it names the journey or the outcome. It names the journey or the outcome. One of the things that we have learned to do well is we'll exert faith, but we won't tell anybody about it. Why? Just in case it doesn't work out, then it's not a problem. That's... That's not necessarily the way faith works 
from the stories in the Bible. Abraham changed his name to Abraham. I'm not saying wear what you're doing on your sleeve and let everybody know. But don't hide it to the point where it's not known either. I know mothers who are pregnant and they won't tell anybody that they're pregnant. You know why? Because they're scared that they may lose the baby and so they don't want it known. Now, I can understand the fear because they must have lost babies in the past. But sometimes faith requires that I name the outcome. Name the outcome. Joseph said, listen, don't bury my bones here. My bones need to be buried in the promised land. He was talking 400 years in advance or something like that. Yeah, 400 years in advance. Abraham changed his name to Abraham when he was 75 and spent the next 24 years wondering why he changed his name. But faith names the journey or the outcome. Why did I tell you about that woman in Indonesia that I was going to visit? I could have kept it quiet because what if nothing happened? (laughs) Then you wouldn't know and my testimony would still be intact. But I told you ahead of time so that you know that there is a possibility that I'll go there and that this was a woman's condition so that you would know whether it failed or not. Or rather in my mind, really in a sense of speaking, there was never a question of failure. I knew it would succeed. The point being, name the journey. Name the journey. By keeping it quiet, it's not necessarily helpful. Two, um, guys, this might sound like such an odd sentence. The ideal environment for faith is when there is no human reason for hope. The ideal environment for faith is when there is no human reason for hope. It recognizes the impossibility of uh, what you have just named and it dares to trust God instead of seeing what can't be done. I mean, you see this in Abraham's life. He names the journey. He looks at his condition and he says, listen, I'm important. And then he begins to say, but I'm fully persuaded that what God said he can do. Abraham means father of many nations. The other thing faith does is it grasps the journey as a present possession. It grasps the journey as a present possession. As a present possession. As it, it says, Father, this is what you've said. This is what I believe you, you will do. And so I at present, receive it in my spirit immediately. It may take a minute for it to happen, or it may take a year for it to happen. But I just want you to know that I I really believe what you've said, and I receive it in my spirit right now. Yeah. Faith has the ability to grasp as present possession what God has said. Faith has the ability to grasp as present possession what God has said. As in, Father, you've said it, I now receive it in my spirit immediately. I agree with you, right now. It may take a minute for it to happen, or it may take a year for it to happen. But I want you to know that I fully believe you, and I receive it in my spirit right now. Because you're a now God, and I believe it fully that it's your desire. And so I receive it. I thank you for it. And now, Father, I mean, when, when mothers get pregnant, what do they say? Yeah, there's some strange feeling inside my belly, but don't know what it is. Two months later, yeah, the belly is kind of swollen up. Don't know what it is. That's not what mothers do. They begin to say right off the bat that they've got a baby. People celebrate that a baby is on the way. 
Got to do the same thing with things that we have received in our womb from God. Saying, my womb is full with what God is saying I'm going to birth. It may take 9 months or it may take 24 months or it may take 36 months. But I know it's in the womb of my spirit. The period of gestation varies, guys, and it depends on so many different factors. But nothing can kill the seed of God. Nothing can kill the seed of God. Nothing can kill the seed of God. That which is born of Hagar will be of flesh, but that which is born of promise will be full of laughter like Isaac, and it will come forth, because you can't kill the seed of God. But the seed of God stays dormant if it's not received in the womb of your spirit. Receive it in the womb of your spirit as in, Father, I know you've said it and I don't trust my five senses or my feelings. I receive it in my spirit saying, God has said it, I believe it. And that settles it for me and from here on I move. Awesome when we begin to think and walk like that, guys. You birth things in your lifetime. Not just for you, but for others too. For others too. Faith acknowledges reality, guys, and it bypasses feelings. It acknowledges realities and it bypasses feelings. The question is not, what am I feeling? The question is, what is the confession of my faith? The question is not, what am I feeling? The question is, what is the confession of my faith given what I know from God? What is the confession of my faith? Oh, you're feeling really low, Jacob. Oh, sorry. Sympathy. But now, what is the confession of your faith? Come sympathize with me. Make me feel better. But what is the confession of my faith? And faith speaks, guys. Faith speaks. Faith rebukes. Faith commands. Faith speaks what God has said. Faith speaks. I remember when I was boarding a flight from Hong Kong to Malaysia, and I got no problems flying, flying Malaysian Airlines, and um, even though they've had two crashes in the last one year. And so this guy is walking me to the gate, and he says, Oh shucks, if they reverse the number, you're sure you want to take this flight? Because uh, the flight that went down was flight 370, and I'm flying flight 073. And so the guy who's walking with me looks at 073, and he says, Look at the number, I'm looking at the number, and I can't find anything wrong with it. He's saying, But look at it, read it this way. <laughs> so now it reads 370 and he's saying you're sure you want to take this flight uh, this is what I meant by speculative thinking and this and that and the other and, and it was such a silly incident but it was important for me to say guys that I've asked God how to fly I've asked the Lord what, what choices I have where to go and all this stuff God's going to keep this safe and so you don't need to worry about this this is another believer but a young believer speculative thinking by the way, if you want to fly in Asia, take Malaysian Airlines. It's dirt cheap because they're trying to win back your favor. Yeah. Faith does not tiptoe around God's promises. Faith does not tiptoe around God's promises. Plunges right in. There's no tiptoeing around it. And then what, here's what happens, guys. Your focus is not on the victory as in the outcome, your focus is on God. You are obsessed with God. You're obsessed with God and therefore your eyes are not on the fig tree. You're obsessed with God. 
you're obsessed with God. Guys, sometimes you can enjoy something so much that you don't care about the outcome. Faith should become like that. You begin to enjoy something so much that your eyes are not on the outcome. Second, now you have the ability to be foolish. Where you face Goliath with five stones. Where you face Goliath with five stones. And then you begin to function well. Because you act on your faith. And give feet to your belief. And the last stage is you finish what you've started. How? By being steadfast. Why? Because steadfastness brings you into maturity. Who said so? God. Where? James 1. What did he say? Count it all joy, Jason, when you go through trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith will bring perseverance and steadfastness. And steadfastness will bring you into a place of maturity. James 1.3 Let's just stop there. Any questions, guys? Any questions? The first one is focus. Focus takes your eyes off. Guys, adjust along the way. When, when you are pursuing something, there will there, be times when God will say, yeah, I told you to start here, but now I want you to take a left turn. But Father, why didn't you tell me before? Well, you wouldn't have listened then, so take a left turn now. So take a left turn. And then, after you take the left turn, he'll say, take a right turn. Take it. Make adjustments along the way. Make adjustments along the way. Paul had to do this. And so God said to Paul, go to Asia Minor. So he starts going. When he gets to Mycenae, the Holy Spirit says, "Mm mm-mm, can't let you through. So he goes to Phrygia and he says, "Mm mm-mm, can't let you through. So he goes to Macedonia and then he has a vision. Make adjustments along the way. Keep moving. Focus is not on the fig tree. Because faith is usually for, ah, the fig tree isn't blossoming. Father, please make it blossom. And we put all our strength into it, all our strength into it. Guys, one of the things Jesus said in John 5.30 is so cool. He says that I hear accurately and judge things that my father is saying accurately because I'm not seeking my own will but the will of my father. The, the, the secret to hearing accurately is, is, is not desiring your own will. We so desperately want things to work out for everybody and we stand in faith and we don't necessarily hear. One of the saddest things I have done is uh, on two occasions when people were sick, uh, didn't go to pray for them because I felt the Lord saying, uh, they're going to die so don't pray, let them come home. And to have to call up the daughters and say, hey, uh, um, I just want you to know that uh, your father's going to die. 
in the next uh, couple of days. And so, why don't you start preparing for their death? And they started screaming, saying, how can you even say that? And all this stuff. And I, it, this was, yeah. And um, I felt so bad, man. And in a day and a half, he died. And uh, the same thing happened to someone else. And this time they kept the body for six, seven hours wanting to revive it when God had said it's time to come home. And the disappointment that just swept across the room because we so desperately want some things to happen that it clouds our judgment and we don't necessarily hear. And Jesus said, the reason I judge and see things accurately is because I do not seek my own will but the will of my Father. And therefore he could hear correctly. I long to be in a place where it's not my desire that drives my faith, but the desire of the Father that drives my faith. I long for that. Certain things are established. We don't even have to doubt it. But there are certain gray areas that we don't know. Those are the areas we find disappointment in. But in areas that God has already mentioned in the Bible, we don't need to doubt it. But in other areas, yes. And then despite everything, when you are disappointed at how it did not turn out, remember, he's very kind. He's always intentionally looking for ways to do me good. I know his nature. He's really loving. He cares for me like crazy. I'm a much-loved child. I can't understand him, but I know that he's always fair and perfect. So even though it hurts Abba, I raise my arms and say that blessed be the name of the glorious Lord. And then this doesn't uh, this, uh, this doesn't prevent us from exerting faith the next time. We dust ourselves off, check if we are smelling of smoke, and no, it's not smoke, and then we start again. Why? Because faith is full of hope, man. It's got nothing to do with disappointment. And Satan will again and again use disappointment as a means to prevent the children of God from exerting hope. He uses that so well, so well. And how does he do it? He doesn't make us faithless. He just helps us lower our expectancy and depend on the sovereignty of God so that we are like a married couple who don't know the nature of our spouse but just live in the same house. Happily married, but don't ask me what color she wants or how much sugar she takes in her coffee. Those things I don't know. Because we live sovereignly in one house. That's the condition that we should avoid. Satan attacks us by lowering our expectancy. And once expectancy can be lowered, faith can be small. 